0: This is the Tribune Talk Podcast with Trussell Tribune publisher Scott Buttram and former city councilman Zach Steele discussing local news and politics. All right, hey everybody. Welcome to the Trib Talk Podcast after a week's hiatus. Scott was out of town last week. Scott, uh, who's also maybe sounding like he's he's been uh, at the bar. He had dental work done, so forgive Scott today. Uh, I'm Zach Steele, Scott Buttram. Um, and uh, we missed last week. Scott, I do want to talk a, a little bit about something we, you and I, are, are both fond of, but uh, we haven't talked about on this show yet, and that's the uh, the debate that's kind of ongoing over the Cahaba Project. Yeah. Um, um, and if you don't know what the Cahaba Project is, uh, it's it's essentially the oldest neighborhood in Trustful built in uh, late 1930s, um, and it's called the project because it was a WPA project, um, which means that the government... Uh, subsidized and paid for these these homes and for people to build these homes. They paid people to build these homes and then let people rent these homes in uh, with the ability to buy down the road. And so it became Trustful's first neighborhood, really. Um, and uh, it still stands to this day, uh, although uh, now that the neighborhood has increased in value, uh, we're starting to see some degradation there. Scott, and I'll let you give your two cents about that. Well, I, I think one
1: thing is important to remember: Truswell's 200 years old. Yeah. Okay. So we're celebrating the 75th anniversary of the incorporation of the town of mm-hmm. Um So that's it's you've you've kind of got to separate that because. Um, the WPA project, as, as you described very well, was part of the Roosevelt administration. It was it was part of the uh, Works Progress um, program that Roosevelt used to pull America out of uh, the Depression. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's how DeSoto State Park got built. That's how Cheehaw State Park got built. That's how um, I think the Hoover Dam may have been part of well, that. The TVA I was part the of that. TVA too. was a big part of that. So <laughs> the other thing they did was build a lot of um, victory farms, which were homes with a couple of three acres uh, that people could grow their own crops, raise their own chickens, and uh, mm-hmm. kind of feed their family um, throughout, through the Depression and help America get out of it. In trustful, the land was, wasn't really suitable for that, so they ended up doing the houses, and we now know it as the project area. There have been um, a handful of homes lost since then due to tornadoes, fires, things like that, natural disasters, um, naturally occurring things. But there's also been a wave of teardowns, demolitions of project homes, really kind of kicked in around 2016, I think. 2016
0: is when this started, yeah.
1: So um, that's been a concern. A lot of homes have have been torn down and uh, big uh, mansions have been built in their place. And Um, was about to celebrate the 75th anniversary of the incorporation and, uh, you know, this this is renewed concern among the community every time it comes up that we've lost so much there. Uh, The city council, as Mayor Choate came into office, they were tearing down a project home. And he placed, you were on that council, placed Mm -hmm. a moratorium on demolitions in the project area 90-day uh, moratorium that expired after 90 days without really anything being done. Um, a so-called process was said to have been put in place. It wasn't the process that even even council members came back and said, "Well, that wasn't the process we thought we were doing." Yeah. So um, really, nothing happened. I mean, we can we can talk about all that and pretend something happened, but nothing happened. And they could they, they continued to be torn down and. Uh, you know, there's been multiple town hall meetings. You've been to a lot of them. I've been to, I guess, a lot of them, most of them. Um, and people are always fine, to, especially people who want to tear down and build, are fine to saying, well, it's not the houses that's on the historic um, registry. It's It's, you know, the neighborhood, as if. Uh, the dirt is somehow historic yeah. in, in that part of Trustful, and we all know it's the houses that make it historic. But yeah. at this point, it is the largest intact WPA project in the country. In the United States. The school that was built, the commissary, which is now ACTA, uh, and, and the historic museum uh, all of that was part of the project. All of that's still standing. The vast majority of the homes. Are still standing and and the lots are big enough that people have been able to do really nice expansions and renovations without destroying the historic value so um, you know that's a saga that continues because council after council has kicked the can down the road without doing anything about it so yeah. um, in fact I, I drove through and, uh, just to, over the last couple of months and I've seen more tra- more teardowns yeah. so it's
0: continuing uh, one right around the corner from me and 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 Full disclosure: I do live in that neighborhood. I've owned two homes in that neighborhood, um, and pretty special neighborhood to to us um, as a family, and just uh, because of the aesthetics and um, just because of where it is, um, it's it's a pretty neat place to have your children grow up. And um, you know, I I being the son of a history professor, I I, I guess i I became pretty uh ensnared in all the historical stuff with the neighborhood maybe ensnared' not the right word maybe <laughs> enthralled is, but um you know when you when you have something that when you know historic experts came come through and we had some come through when I was on the council because I was uh attempting to trying to get it trustful to form a historic preservation society uh and in the hopes that that would protect the Cahaba project from you know future demolitions and and those types of things, uh, council really wasn't for it, um, and uh, and you know I, I learned something that day that um, just because y- you think that it's his- something's historical and you know. A piece of United States history doesn't mean that everybody else feels that way right, right. because I had multiple people tell me it's really not that historic. Um, and to me, it really it kind of is. Um, and, and I'm not one of these folks. Now, Again, full disclosure, we bought one of these homes and renovated it, did a big addition on the back, kept the front part of the house exactly the same as it was. Um, but there are people who just don't feel that way and they feel like, well, I bought this property, I can do what I want to with it. If I want to, you know, demolish it and build something new back, I will. Um, and, uh, and I think, you know, that's where I, I think the whole thing is kind of stopped because um, you've got a group that's just not willing to budge at all on that whole deal. So, um, and, you know, I... I hope that you know there's a there's a group right now, the the Cahaba Heritage uh, Foundation, that's that's I think doing really good work educating people in the neighborhood about why it's historic and why it's important, and also telling them, look if if this if this gets a true historic designation by the city of Trustful, then your home values are going to increase. Now they've already increased a lot because of Cobb Elementary School, mm-hmm. but. Um, the, all the data suggests that once a neighborhood is deemed a historic district, the property values skyrocket again. So, you know, I, and, and I, look, I, I get that there are folks that, that want to do what they want to do, but I think, you know, at the, at the same time, um, there are people in this city, and not just the people that live in the Cahaba Project, but people in this city who really value the historic nature of that neighborhood. And I think you're one of them. You know, you, I think that you'd see the historic value in the neighborhood. I, I think
1: that um, I think that it is one of the things that sets, you, sets Trussell apart and makes it very unique. Yeah. It's, you know, it is a slice of Americana from the 1930s uh, that you can drive through today and kind of see what the vision was for America coming out and, and, and it's hard for us to relate to what the depression was. Sure, we've gone through some pretty bad recessions, maybe headed toward another bad one, um, but it doesn't compare to what this country went through in the depression. And to have to have that in, in any community, we've got historic commun- uh, historic neighborhoods and communities all over the United States of America, from one end to the other, some dating back to the 1700s. Uh, some dating through the 1800s, some in the uh, 1900s, which is what the project area is. And um, when you when you have something historic that survives, it, it should be a crown jewel, sure. right? And I think that people in other parts of the country, when they buy a historic home or a historic property, they understand that this is more than just owning a home. They are, they are a caretaker of history. And without those people, and without that mentality, we couldn't go back to Mount Vernon. We couldn't go back um, to Monticello. And, and some of these places that have been preserved, uh, where our presidents lived, and, and you go to Philadelphia, you can walk through neighborhoods that were built in the 1700s. They're still there. You go down to New Orleans, you're looking at structures built in the 1600s, 1700s, still there, mm-hmm. still preserved. Um, and, and so we get a taste of American history because the people who've owned this property through the years ha- have been caretakers of it. And that's the same is true here in Trustville. When you yeah. buy in a historic area, then, then you become a caretaker. And I think it is uh, that property or that uh, area is held in very, very high regard not just by the homeowners, not just by the people who chose to move there and, and invest there, but by the entire city, by, yeah. by people who live in Carrington, by people who live in Stockton. Even though they don't live in the project area, I think they have a place of very high value on that in, in terms of what it means to our community, what it means to Trustful, and how it sets us apart because no one else in America has this. We've got it and nobody else has got it. And are we the question is, are we going to take care of it? Yeah. Are we going to find a way to protect it and also give homeowners the ability to modernize and expand and renovate? We ought to be able to do both, but we never have a serious conversation. And it's been my experience that since 2016. Every time a conversation is attempted, uh, it is met with disinformation, misleading information, false information from a variety of people. Um, it, who have a variety of interest in in while they're why they 're doing that sort of thing um, and until we can sit down and just have a good conversation about it, we could continue to lose it
0: yeah so. no i th- I think it's it's going to be a slow erosion um and i wouldn't be surprised if in ten years half of these homes are gone um at the rate they're going i, I don't think i 'd be surprised by that either um and it's just you know you know it's it's sad because you know, a couple of these homes recently that have been demolished, um, I think, could have very easily been fixed up, saved, renovated to a point to where they were really nice homes. Um, but the homeowner didn't necessarily want that. Right. They wanted a mansion, like you said. They wanted something I, Yeah, big. they
1: wanted a Mac mansion, and they wanted it in the... the what I think is the most beautiful neighborhood and trustful. Um, so they kind of wanted, wanted both worlds, and, and you can't have that. I mean, yeah. you really can't have that if you're gonna preserve history. I, I talked to a friend in Vestavia, a contractor, who specializes in restorations and renovations. Um, th- this was early on in the process, and told him, you know, we're hearing termites, we're hearing um, foundation damage and stuff like that. And, how, and My question was, how bad does it have to be before Demolition's the only answer. And he just laughed and said, look, if it's still standing, it can be renovated. He said, the, the question is really, do you want to make the investment to renovate it? Yeah. And, and th- he said, that's where the push and pull is coming. Yeah. And um, he said, when you hear people come back and say, well, we can tear it down and build from the ground up as cheap as we can renovate it. Yeah. He said, that, that really tells you all you need to know about their mindset." Yeah. Um, Because if if renovation is the only option, then they're going to get renovated. Yeah. And he said they're not, you know, nobody's going to sit around and let them fall to the ground. They're going to get renovated. Yeah. But if the the door is open to bulldoze them, then some people are just going to take the financial path, not the path that's responsible
0: in terms of preserving history. Sure. Well, where do you think the disconnect is? You said something uh, a couple of minutes ago about... How if if someone buys a historic home, they're stewards of it. Yeah. Where's the disconnect here? How does the, that happen? To
1: me, the disconnect has always come in the same area, the misinformation yeah. that's come out. Um and, and I you know, there's always meetings, but I'm not sure you ever get both sides in the same room at the same time for a meeting. Yeah. It's like they have separate meetings. They yeah. share separate information. Um it, the, the last big town hall meeting we had, oh gosh, probably a couple of years ago, um, when well, we it, had one at the civic center. A few yeah, that's ago. the one I'm referring yeah. to. How long ago was that? Was, that was August. Was that August? That, mm-hmm. that recent. So I I went. I sat in the balcony and I just wanted to observe, and you know that was very typical of the of the previous meetings and conversations. Mm-hmm. I, it, there was a long presentation made by Amy Peterson and the Historic Group to kind of explain things. I, and And I will to be honest, I don't know that it was all that well explained. yeah, uh, I think I think a good attempt was made. I think it needed to really be pared down. and yeah. um, it, it just kind of focus on what is in front. They, they tried to kind of tell the whole history story. That's not necessary. I mean, it's just yeah, you know, get to what what you're trying to get accomplished. I don't know that they did a good job getting there, But this is what I noticed. When she got through and they opened the floor for public speaking, person after person after person walked to the microphone with notes in hand, Mm -hmm. pre-written statements, which meant nothing said at that meeting mattered. No. They had already written out their response. No. And that was kind of demonstrative of, well, this is why we never get anywhere. Before they ever showed up, here's the reason why I oppose it. So they weren't really interested in hearing what the Heritage Group was presenting, and the Heritage Group wasn't really good at presenting what they needed to be presenting. So it's just this cycle we go through, yep. and it's gonna continue until people outside the project area who live in Trustville, and, and we all have a stake in this, yeah. and it's gonna continue until that group either says, we don't care anymore, and we're gonna let them do whatever they wanna do, or they say, you know what? As a city, we're gonna protect this area. Yeah. Um and I don't know I don't know that anything will ever happen. Yeah. I I'll, I'll tell you this, and just being candid, I don't have much optimism at all anymore because there has been a stone cold lack of leadership unless unless and let's be fair about this, doing nothing is a form of leadership. And <laughs> you know, if that's the form of leadership that um, the city leaders have decided to to embark on, then that, that's, it. That's, that's what it is, and it's, they're just going to keep tearing down historic homes. Yeah. Um, so maybe that's the leadership they've chosen, is to do nothing, because after six years, that's what they've done, is
0: nothing. Yeah. Absolutely nothing. Well, it's, it's an unfortunate situation, and I, you know, I tried, but I was met with some serious, serious backlash on it. Right. from from well, there, the there
1: are people who are just as serious about trying to save it, um, yeah. and and I the the problem is nobody can sit down together and agree on anything, yeah. and um, elected leaders have made the decision to just do nothing and see where it goes.
0: Yeah. Well, and, they're going to hide behind, you know, it's their own personal property; it's their own personal property rights, and and you know that yeah. that libertarian argument is, I mean, I I, I think it. It, it's nice up to the water's edge, but when you're you're talking about a... I mean, other cities have done this. I mean, that the same arguments have been made in other places in yeah, Alabama. Is, there's nothing new about this. Um, it, but, but those cities said, no, uh, we think that this neighborhood, we think that this place is historic. We're going to do our best to, to keep it that yeah, way. We're going to save it. Yeah. So. so, all right, moving on. We're going to go out to Scott's favorite state of California. Um, <laughs> and... Uh, talk about a subject that um, um, is is something that i think that's happening here is i think that, that people are kind of running back to the middle a little bit here um, in san francisco they recalled their district attorney uh... mainly because of crime and homelessness and the crime that shows up because of homelessness and mm-hmm. and Joe Q. Citizens' feeling of, well, nothing's being done here to protect our, to protect us as law-abiding citizens here. There's been a lot of burglaries, a lot of break-ins, a lot of not necessarily violent crime in San Francisco, but uh, crime is is increasing uh, there like crazy. Uh, Los Angeles, a similar situation. They just uh, uh, in their mayor's race, they have a runoff, in one of the Finalists in the runoff is a former Republican who's now uh, become a moderate Democrat and is uh could be the next mayor of Los Angeles similar situations more violent crime in l a more you know burglaries and those types of things but um what I see here in the way that the media is is spinning this is people are people are turning their backs on you know this Liberal culture. Um, I think that you're going to see on both ends of the spectrum, I think you're going to start seeing people kind of head back towards the middle a little bit. I think that at some point it gets so ridiculous that you, you almost have to. And I want to know what you think about that. <coughs> um,
1: well, I think the, the, the real key factor here, especially in San Francisco. Uh, with this DA who's been recalled, is um, he is one of four Soros-funded DAs. And by Soros-funded, I mean their campaign was funded by Soros. And I'm trying to think of the the fairest way to describe this, but it is um, a soft on crime approach. Mm -hmm. and, And that's such a generic statement. But so to be more specific, it is uh, reducing sentences, lowering sentences, getting people back on the streets quicker, getting them back in society quicker. Um, it is reducing charges. The DA has phenomenally wide control over how people are charged through the, through the district attorney's office. We're, we, and here's the thing, we, we, you know, we're talking about California, we're seeing this in Jefferson County, okay? Not to the extent they're seeing it in LA and San Francisco, but we've been seeing it for several years under the new DA. We're seeing law enforcement slack up under the new sheriff. And that that is a societal move that that comes from the left uh, primarily. And um, the what, what people weren't remember, these people who are being thrown out of office were elected to office. Okay? So what the citizens are seeing is a result that they didn't really expect. You've already mentioned it. Crime is is spiking. It's it's in some cases skyrocketing. Either L.A. or San Francisco, uh, violent crime is spiked fifty four percent. That's Los Angeles. Yeah. So I, I mean, that's that. I think that's just homicides. That's significant. Yeah. But armed robberies are up. Sexual assaults are up. And. It's not always somebody who's already been tried and convicted for something else or been arrested for something else, but it, it, it is a startling, startlingly high number, uh, percentage of people who have been through the system that are getting back out and doing these things. So um, there's been a bit of an awakening among those citizens and just saying, you know, what's, what may have sounded good in theory has not been good in practice. Yeah. Um, the, the DA in, in San Francisco, so this needs to be mentioned too. He's seen all this. He knows all this is happening. He lives there. He's aware of it. He made the conscious decision to not back off of what he ran on. And ultimately, it cost him his job because yeah. the citizens have voted him out. He could have on his own taken a more um, conservative or practical approach um, I don't know if conservative is a, a, a good word, maybe uh, more of a conventional approach yeah. that other DAs take. And he chose not to do that and has been voted out of office. So, you know, it, it, as you pointed out, this could come from both sides. Things things can sound really good when you're on the campaign trail. Yeah. And then when you go into office and put them into practice, whether it's coming from the far right or the far left, not so good once they're put into practice.
0: Yeah. Well, uh the example that I, I, I'm seeing on the on the other end of the spectrum is um, uh, the and you know I talked about the the um, the school shooting recently. Um, I think that um, there are Americans who feel like okay, we've got to do something now, and and you and I have talked about some of the some things you can do. Um, but there are there are there, to me uh, public opinion is for some of these things in terms of limiting access to firearms i think that i think that the public feels like okay we get, we can't just sit around and do nothing here the status quo is not working so i think that the extreme view is to Let's arm our teachers. Let's arm, you know, yeah. Basically, going back to the old west where you're walking down the street with a six shooter on your hip, uh, versus some sort of regulation. And I think that, I think that people are. I mean, you're a, you're a as big a Second Amendment person as I know. Um, but I don't think you think that it's okay for an 18 year old to go in and buy on his 18th birthday and buy a semi-automatic weapon. Maybe you do. Well,
1: I, I think, I think there are a lot of questions that have to be asked and I think these are conversations we should continue to have. Um, I I think there are reasonable things that we could do to, to improve the situation. I'm also not convinced that the reasonable things we can do are really going to change the things that have happened. Okay, because uh, it, it's it's a multifaceted deal. There, it, it doesn't matter which shooting you pick. There's going to be a different set of circumstances there. I I don't really have any problem with moving the age to purchase a gun to 21. I think that's probably a pretty reasonable and practical decision to make. I, I do think, and I don't think these should be political points. But this was actually discussed in a. Senate or House hearing last week. Earlier, yeah, last week. I, I think you know if you're going to look at that, we should also be looking. Well, do we want? We don't have a military draft right now, but if at 18 you have to register for the Selective Service, mm-hmm. that's a law. Um, I'm not so sure that we shouldn't consider making that 21. There's a and there's a lot of factors that have nothing to do with shootings. An 18-year-old in 1940, I would say, on average, is was far, far more mature than an 18-year-old in I 2020. I 100% agree. I 100% I just, I don't, agree. Yeah, I don't think we're talking about the same people. Um, so I think these are things that, as a society, we should continue to look at all the time. Um, if you're going to let somebody buy a gun at 18, and I just heard this suggestion today, and I thought, well, that's that's um, kind of Solid common sense, you know, maybe they should have to have an, a responsible adult co sign with them. Yeah. Who shares liability until that person turns 21. Yeah. Uh, with them having the, the firearm. Well, because I mean, we, we do it with cars. Exactly. We, we have graduated <laughs> driver's license now. Uh, you know, uh, my, my daughter's 15. She started riding around with her friends a little bit. One of the rules we have is. She can be the if, if she's riding with a teenage driver, she can be the only other teenager in that car. If if two or three are going, we'll just take her. Mm-hmm. And and nothing against anyone else. We just know how easily teenagers are distracted. And you put two, three, four of them in a car. You put two of them in a car, you're probably gonna have some distractions. You put three or four, it's gonna get worse. So we're you know we're trying to be practical as parents. Yeah. Um, I, I would not buy my child a gun at 18. Yeah, I mean that's just not something I would go get either one of them. I've got a son and a daughter, um, and, and my son doesn't know it and he doesn't listen to the podcast, but he's probably going to get a rifle for Christmas. That's what <laughs> I've been looking at for him, and um, that's probably what he's going to get. He's thirty-five. I'm not worried about that, but I would not go buy his fifteen-year-old sister one. Yeah, you know. Um, sure. Though I, I, I do think there are some practical things we could do. I don't think I, I, I'm going to just say it. I don't think there is. Uh, a, a magic formula for fixing this stuff. Yeah. Uh, because I do think it's there's a well, lot
0: of things driving it. I mean, some of the things just point to, it doesn't matter how many guns there are or how many guns there aren't, some of it just points to societal decline. I hate to say that, but I I mean, Absolutely. I've convinced Absolutely. my, I, I, I've become convinced over the last, I, I guess, couple years that we are a society in decline and we need to make some changes. Well, we,
1: I, you know, I, do, I think, you're right. first of all, I agree completely with what you're saying and I think we are a society in decline in a lot of ways. Um, you know, what some people consider enlightenment, I, I don't understand exactly how they're yeah. viewing it that way. But I, this may say old fashioned, I sound old-fashioned and I know somebody's going to say, oh, you dead gum boomer. Uh, and that's fine. You can say it. it. And it may even sound sexist to some people. But I'm absolutely convinced there was a huge difference in the generation that came home every day to a mother at home as opposed to a generation that comes home to an empty house. Yeah. And that should not. My wife works. Mm-hmm. Um, my mother, when she became a single mother, she went to work. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's not a negative toward women who have careers. I I, I I will tell you I think women are the smarter of the two genders um, and and I will argue down anybody that wants to debate that, but I believe that because I think there's more I think there's so many things that are are part of being smart and I think women have those things in spades and as men. We don't always see the big picture. They're better at it. Yeah, I think they're certainly as, as intelligent as we are. So, any female that decides she wants a career, God bless her, and I support that, and, yeah. and I think that's great. But let's let's accept the real uh, possibility that that has been a part of affecting our society, um, and and you know maybe it's time for some families to start talking about a parent staying home and maybe the woman isn't the parent that needs to stay home in some yeah. cases. Maybe some men need to stay home.
0: Yeah.
1: Uh, in if, if, if their marriage, maybe the woman is the better breadwinner, okay? Yeah. Uh, in other marriages, maybe the man is the better breadwinner. I, I'm, I'm kind of ready to do away with these stereotypes, but, I, but I'm also ready to accept the fact that that child that has more parent time, whether it be the mother or the father, um, is probably going to do better
0: in society in general. Yeah. Well, I I, I can't disagree with that. Um, although someone probably will try.
1: <laughs> I, I, well, there, people are going to disagree, yeah. and I get that. I understand. Um, I mean, it's you know, it's kind of just my two cents. Yeah. Is I think we were better off when we had one parent focused on child raising and one parent focused on breadwinning.
0: Well, I think I I, I think really. It may have started there, but it has snowballed in the last um, 15 years. Oh, yeah. And I'm going to hold up my iPhone and say, you know, that's probably the reason why. Huge factor. Um, Huge factor. Because we are slaves to um, social media. And what we see on social media and what we see is normal on social media and what we're told on social media. Speaking of misinformation, it's out there everywhere. Um, and and I, I just think that it has polarized us to the point of where um, we're we are so far apart. You know, it, it's just... Uh, it, it's kind of unbelievable. And we we don't hear what other people are saying. I, I think that that has a lot mm-hmm. to do with it. I also think that when you... you I think that um, our children are being messed up by this because they look on Instagram and they see an airbrushed girl or guy and they think they're supposed to look that way. Mm-hmm. And so... It, I mean, it, it's just. Well, they, it's just, and the other thing is nobody knows how to talk to each other anymore. Well, the female
1: stereotype stuff was was around long before the internet. Yes, you know, we were hearing about airbrush magazine covers before sure. there was an internet. But which I you, you, again, you've just kind of really hit on something here. You know, we let two maybe three generations be raised by television. Yeah. Where where, um, and, and I was that first generation. Mm-hmm. You know, I remember when we got a color TV set yeah. in our house. So that's that's how old I am. But, you know, my my mom had that advantage that her mom didn't have in terms of she could put her kids in front of the TV. There were only three channels. They were all family-friendly. And we would watch that while she did housework and whatever she needed to do. So she took advantage of that built-in babysitter. And that's progressed to now we let the Internet babysit our kids, which has turned out to be a really, really bad idea. Um, (laughs) Yeah. Because basically what has the Internet done Uh, Yes, it shares information, it it stores information, gives us access to information. It also gives us unlimited access to violence, porn, stories that we don't want children and they don't need to be reading or hearing, Um, unlimited video. There is so much more available via the Internet than we ever saw with our three networks and PBS uh, in the 60s and 70s. I mean, you know, uh, we were watching Happy Days, um, I don't think Happy Days could, could keep a 12-year-old entertained for
0: five, five seconds minutes. today. Not, you know? They'd be like, nope. Yeah,
1: but just it bored bore out get, of their mind. I'm going to so. go
0: on TikTok and make fun of Happy Days. That's yeah. what they would do next. So that's I mean, what So that's, that's what
1: I grew up with was yeah. uh, Andy Griffith, uh, the Andy Griffith Show and Happy Days and Mayberry and all that raising us. Uh, and, of course, Green Acres because I had a family member on it. So uh, you know, I had to watch... <laughs> Had to watch Pat Butt for Mr. Haney was Pat for. Oh, okay. Um, on, on, so that's we, we grew up with a a very different exposure. But look, let's not kid ourselves. That's also kind of where it was starting. Yeah. Where the the American family was not entertaining themselves by sitting around and talking and playing cards and board games yeah. and maybe listening to the radio a little bit. It it started changing when TV came along and it's it, nothing stops nothing quits moving forward. Yeah. Um, but if we could just refocus on our families, um, and I, I
0: don't know, can you put the genie back in the bottle? I I mean, that's the thing I, I get concerned about is, you know, you, I mean, I, I mean, I feel guilty about my kids all the time, and I feel like I spend a lot of time with my kids. <laughs> you know, I, yeah. I feel like we're, we have, we have good conversations, we um, we talk about right and wrong and things like that, yeah. and you still you still look up in ten minutes later, and my son or daughter is glued to a device sure. watching you know just junk what, whatever they want to watch whatever they want to watch yeah um, and no you matter know, how many parental controls. Well, you put and when
1: Sarah Marie was really young, we thought it was kind of cool to watch her get on Google. She was into animation, yeah, and she was only four and wanted to learn how to do it. So she would watch YouTube tutorials. Yeah. And then she would teach herself how to do animation. And we thought, man, that is so neat. What we didn't stop and think about was all the other stuff she was seeing. Yeah. And and we're also seeing 12-year-olds guided, 15-year-olds guided by other 12-year-olds, other Mm 15-year-olds online. And uh, trust me, that is not who any of us want, um, guiding our kids or other kids. No. uh, Raised we don't know how. Yeah, you know, so I, I think it's going to really come down to uh, you know families getting back to being families, and it's it's there are some parts of our society where that's just not going to happen. Yeah, no matter what, that's not going to happen.
0: Yeah, no, I they agree. don't care,
1: they don't value, it, they don't want it.
0: And it's and it makes their lives easier. Right, you know, sticking your kid on with an iPhone. Right, makes your life easier. I that mean, is, and we we've all done it because yeah. I I mean, I mean, on trips on long trips in the car what would we do instead of doing what my parents did and make us you know sing songs and play battleship they would <laughs> they we, they make we just hand our kid the ipad with yeah. netflix on it and you know when they were little we would just uh, we, put a dvd in or yep, do whatever you could to entertain could, them i think some people think that it's It's survival, and maybe our generation's, my generation's weaker than the one before me, in terms of that, but I think everybody's guilty of when something's there to to make your life easier, they do it. Sure. And so I think that's uh, it. That's where we are.
1: And I I do think there's some common sense, back to our original subject, there are some common sense things we could do, but but what we all need to remember, no matter what laws or rules or things you change, the, the, the person who would go in, and murder nineteen children in cold blood yeah. are, are not going to be interested in obeying yeah. your, your gun laws.
0: Well, it is not.
1: I mean, there's always going to be access through the criminal market. Um,
0: there are. There will So be.
1: we 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 need to, if we really want to change this, we need to look deeper, and we need to look at everything.
0: Well, two, at least two, in, and probably more than that, and. In recent history, have been mentally ill yep. teenagers. Yeah,
1: and we've talked um, about that before.
0: Um, and so, you know, I and and you know, this most recent thing, well, the kid's mom said he was bullied, and you know, and and was he, you know, the the other thing we we didn't touch on with all this societal decline stuff is uh, it's these days it's a different type of bullying, and it's a lot easier to bully because you yeah. can bully. You don't have to bully face-to-face. You can go on your device and bully somebody. Right. Um, so anyway, well, so Scott and I have identified the problem. Next week, we'll be back to, to solve it. No. <laughs> Just kidding. Uh, the only other thing, Scott, okay, uh, I don't like black in our Hewitt Trustful uniforms either. By the way. <laughs> uh, I, I saw that. And, well, that has
1: really started up.
0: Um, I. So what. Years ago I did uh, husky TV and I did I started as their sideline reporter and I would always get to talk to uh, coach Hal Riddle who was the head football coach back then and he would call a kid over this happened a couple of times in the middle of our conversation before the game you know what do you think about this week's opponent and whatever and um, he'd call a kid over and the kid would have on a black arm sleeve or black you know undershirt yeah. under his jersey coach riddle would say hey what's our school colors <laughs> Is black in our school colors <clears throat> no sir go change <laughs> so um i don't so now we've gotten to where you know we've got i noticed the baseball team they had a full black uniform on during the state finals yeah. um and my daughter's soccer team their home uniforms were black there right. were there was no 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 they didn't did they, have, they didn't have a red uniform at all. They had a black and a white. And I don't know, I like the dark gray color that, they've, that the school's kind of forgotten. Yeah. I, that's, that's a cool, cool look to me. But anyway, um, not that our opinion matters at all.
1: <laughs> well, I, <laughs> but, this, but so. here's the question, does it really, does it matter? Yeah. Um, the, a comment was made on my Facebook page yesterday that the only, um, the only people that really matter are the band kids. Uh and I, I think that is a, a view that could be taken. I, and I think it's different when we're talking about multiple uniforms and and um one or two of them being a little different yeah. you know, for a novelty. I, I kinda get that. Um and band uniforms which will be worn every time the band marches. Yeah. I mean they're they don't have a home and away. Yeah. Uh this this is what it is. Um I and and I'm just gonna say up front, I don't know that I have strong feelings one way or the other about it. Yeah. Um but the, the individual that made the comment said it doesn't really, all that matters is what the kids think. And I get that. I also know that just a couple of months ago, many of us went out throughout the community supporting a renewal of a, tag, of, a of a property tax for our schools. The schools provided a list of things that were bought with that. And we, we could debate areas of that list, but one of the things they had on it was band uniforms purchased mm-hmm. purchase with this money. So if you're asking the people of Trustful to continue to pay additional money for schools through their property tax, it's kind of hard to come back and say, "Well, it's really none of your business what the uniforms look like, <laughs> but thank you for writing the check." Um, I do think I, I, I don't think you have to include the community in decisions like this, but I think it's pretty smart to do it. I know with the when we built the new high school, there was a lot of talk. About changing the name to Trustful High School, dropping Hewitt. Yeah, Hewitt was named after a guy that the average person in Trustful doesn't know who Dr. Hewitt is. He has no relatives left in, in this community, and, and that I'm aware of. Um, and it kind of made sense, but hey, people that graduated 20, 30, 40 years ago, not changing the name, were furious. You know, and yeah. so we kept the name Hewitt Trustful, even though Hewitt really doesn't mean anything in this community anymore.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So. But we, we, the school system deferred to what the community wanted, which was probably a pretty good idea because the community has been very supportive of the schools yeah. and um, and they always have been. They're, and they're gonna continue no matter what color the band uniforms are because this is a community that does believe in our schools and does support them. Yeah. But um, I don't know, I, I, I was told by a pretty reliable source that the real decision behind this was because um, Black doesn't show mistakes in competition as quickly as white
0: does. Ah, strategic.
1: Yeah. So, that, and that came from I, I, what I would consider an impeccable source. Um, and, and they said that was one of the driving factors. So maybe it was. Uh, I don't think, you know, I, I don't think that, I, I don't think a superior rating, which they're gonna get anyway, because they're so good and they work so hard. Um, I don't know if that's a reason to change tradition. I'm a little bit of a traditionalist. I think the band really adds to the majesty of those Friday night games. Yeah. I, I know, uh, I, look, I'm an Alabama guy, grew up in Tuscaloosa, but I've been at Auburn when that band comes marching in, uh, and that blue and that orange, and I, I'm telling you, that's all part of it. Yeah. Um, and, and that is true in the high school uh, as well. And And I'm already visualizing that first Christmas parade that we're, uh, gonna or homecoming parade that we're gonna do out here, and here comes the band marching up in their black and white uniforms, yep, that's and, right.
0: um, and people are gonna be like, "Where's that band from?"
1: Yeah, uh, <laughs> well, it'll be on Main Street and Trustful, so they'll figure it out. <laughs> but I, I don't know, I. I
0: I would rather see tradition but I I'm, I'm I just like person. the I, I the, the thing that the gray has been lost and I really like that gray that they that they had and the, they had you know they used to have gray pants. Yeah,
1: well, it, the actual school colors are red, white and silver. Silver. So like gray, the, well, well, I'm colorblind. Yeah, well the gray Forgive was me. the gray was a, a head nod to silver. Um and I think that's kind of unique and I think it could be really cool. Yeah. Um I do, too. Well, so, I don't know. But, no,
0: I will say this. I checked my email and nobody asked me. Nobody asked me either. Um, but <laughs> we can still voice our opinions because that's what this and I, podcast I'm still, is for. I'm
1: still go Huskies and I'm
0: still pro Husky marching band. That's man, right. So. Uh, I, I cheered just as hard for my daughter's soccer team, whether they were in black or gray or that's red right. or whatever. So, that's right. All right, that's our show for this week, folks. We'll talk to you guys next week. See you.